Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, my name is Dr. Daniel Kremens, and I'm an Associate Professor of Neurology and the Co-Director of the Parkinson's Disease and Movement Disorder Center at Sidney Kimmel Medical College in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And today's topic is Expert Recommended Best Practices, Treatment Strategies for Parkinson's Disease Psychosis. I'm joined today by two experts. First, Dr. Rajesh Pawa. Hi. Dr. Pawa, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Rajesh Pawa. I'm Professor of Neurology and Division Chief for Parkinson's Disease and Movement Disorders at the University of Kansas Medical Center, Kansas City, Kansas. And we're also joined today by Dr. Stuart Isaacson. Stu? Thanks, Dan. I'm Stuart Isaacson. I'm the Director of the Parkinson's Disease and Movement Disorders Center of Boca Raton in Boca Raton, Florida. So today we're going to be addressing the important topic of treatment strategies for Parkinson's disease psychosis. But one of the challenges is before you can even get to treatment, you have to have access for the diagnosis to Parkinson's disease psychosis. Parkinson's disease is the second most common neurodegenerative disease in the world, with approximately a million people in the United States being uh, who have the disease. But most recently, there was uh, a reassessment of the number of initial new diagnoses it had been thought to be about 60,000 a year, and now it was uh, estimated to be 90,000 a year. And there are about 600 uh, fellowship-trained movement disorder specialists in the United States. The average patient with Parkinson's disease in the United States doesn't even see a neurologist, let alone a movement disorder specialist, for the first five years of their disease. So you can imagine the barriers to access in treatment with this uh, condition. So uh, for my uh, co-participants, what's, what's your experience with access? Yeah, I, I think that that's a big challenge. And I think uh, it is uh, an issue that our patients have to wait for a long time to get in to see us, uh, whether it's for a follow-up or to see us as new patients. Uh, and the best we can do is is train more fellows to go out there uh, that they can actually help treat patients with Parkinson's. Yeah, it really is a challenge. And, uh, you know, in certain cities or uh, areas, metropolitan areas, there may be a little more access. In certain rural areas, there may be no access. There are some states without a single movement disorder specialist. And when you're talking about something like Parkinson's disease psychosis, it's it's such a devastating condition that access to treatment is critical. So, Saying that, let's switch and take a look at treatment, given that how, how impactful this condition is. So, Stu, what's your approach to treating Parkinson's disease psychosis? Well, it's, it's an important question, Dan, because, you know, we have to ask about these symptoms in order to make the diagnosis. So very early on, we have to ask if patients are having illusions or hallucinations or a false sense of presence of passage or, or delusions and see how frequently they occur once a month. Once a week, once a day, several times a day, how severe are they and what insight is, is present or lost about these. And then we have to decide if it's impacting our treatment of the motor symptoms, because very often, even when we decide not to treat Parkinson's psychosis, it impacts the treatment of the motor symptoms because we begin not to increase medication that we otherwise would have, or even decreasing dopaminergic medications. It has a consequence for our patients in terms of their activities of daily living, uh, their quality of life, work, 
exercise and sometimes increasing the risk of falls. So we have to think about treating this sooner rather than later so it uh, doesn't uh, prevent a terrible problem when it increases uh, suddenly and we get that emergency phone call. And we have to ask about it earlier, not just movement uh, disorder neurologists, but all neurologists and internists, geriatricians, uh, nurse practitioners and PAs, anyone taking care of people with Parkinson's should be asking about these symptoms like they ask about sleep and memory constipation. Do you ever see things that aren't there uh, and so on? And, and I think one other thing we need to remember is uh, always reassess the patient's uh, medication before we start looking at treatment. Have they started any new medications? Uh, have they started a narcotic pain medicine, for example? Uh, we also need to assess, have they developed any infections recently? So I always order a urine uh, analysis on them. Uh, have they had any recent uh, flu-like symptoms or anything. So I, I think we need to make sure there are not any other medical issues going on. Uh, they have not started any new medications that may have precipitated it. Uh, and then we basically assess how much it is affecting both the, the patient and the caregiver. And um, at times we have to start using medications to actually help with their psychosis. So once we've made that decision that we have to treat the patient with, we've ruled out infections, we've looked for other causes potentially for Parkinson's disease psychosis, what's your approach to the medications in Parkinson's disease psychosis? Stu, perhaps you'd like to give us your approach. Yeah, well, sometimes we use non-pharmacological measures of redirection and reassurance, uh, psychosocial counseling that can be done, but we're often faced with having to begin a medication, an antipsychotic. There's only very few antipsychotics that can be reasonably used in people with Parkinson's disease. Indeed, the Movement Disorder Society, the American Geriatric Society, Beer's Criteria cautions against all antipsychotics because they block dopamine and worsen motor Parkinsonism, except for three. A clozapine, which requires a blood monitoring, a quetiapine, which is used off-label and dose can be limited by somnolence, and orthostatic hypotension, and pimavanserin. Uh, which is the only FDA-approved medication for Parkinson's disease psychosis to treat hallucinations and delusions. Um, so, so I think we have to begin to think about the use of an antipsychotic. Uh, we use primavanserin first line because of the FDA uh, regulatory approval and uh, because of the uh, specific blocking only of serotonin 2A receptors. So we don't see somnolence or orthostatic hypotension as an adverse event, uh, at least in, in, in trials. And Raj, what's your approach when you're thinking about medications for Parkinson's psychosis? Yeah, I agree with Stu. I, I think uh, we usually start with pemavacerin because it is a specific 5-2A uh, receptor antagonist, or I should say inverse agonist, uh, because it doesn't have any dopamine blocking issues going on. So I don't have to worry about worsening of Parkinson's. I don't have to worry about orthostatic hypertension. I don't have to worry about somnolence. If my patient needs or cannot tolerate or does not respond to pimavacerin, uh, I may look at either using quetiapine or clozapine. The issue with clozapine is majority of my patients will not like to have their blood count done, so, so they really avoid taking clozapine. Quetiapine is a reasonable option, but I usually use that as my second-line medication. So, and, and I agree. I think that um, the best evidence in Parkinson's disease psychosis is for pemavanserin. It has a double-blind placebo-controlled study that uh, demonstrated improvement on the SAPS-PD 
Quetiapine has been studied a number of times in a double, small double-blind randomized placebo-controlled studies, and in the majority of those uh, studies, it's failed to demonstrate any benefit. Clozapine has been demonstrated to be safe and efficacious, but it does require blood monitoring. You can imagine how difficult that would have been during COVID with a number of our patients. I think what's key to point out is that none of us are recommending use with uh, any of the typical or other atypical antipsychotics because they have been demonstrated to be dangerous in Parkinson's patients. So we shouldn't be using those. So we uh, thanks for your attention and thanks for your recommendations from uh, the experts regarding the treatment of Parkinson's psychosis. I think we've learned today that access remains a major barrier in the treatment of Parkinson's disease psychosis. But once you can get access, there are a number of treatment options. I think in our panel, we favor Pimavanserin, the only FDA-approved treatment for Parkinson's disease psychosis, with clozapine and uh, quetiapine being potential other options in some patients. Thanks very much for your participation. Thank you. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. Thank you for listening.